You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Thomas Frank. He's the author of What's the Matter with Kansas and The Wrecking Crew, and he's also on the Caveman Diet. Thank you for joining me, Thomas. How are you today, Rick? I'm doing great, and even better when I realize that the Texas Board of Education is looking out after our textbooks. Yeah. Well, you know, they have... Uh, Texas is a big state, but they have their influence is even greater than that. You know, they uh, because it's such a big market... Um, the the textbook the, the people that write uh, like high school textbooks and elementary school textbooks and so on uh, always try to cater to the uh, to what the Texas Board of Education wants. They try to write their textbooks so as to please the Texas Board Board of Education. This has been going on for a long time. But what's um, what's interesting is that at some point the uh, uh, conservative movement, by which of course I mean I don't mean like you know. You know, uh, what's a good example of sort of familiar conservative? I don't mean like Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, you know, like uh, the John Birch Society types. At some point, they figured this out that mm-hmm. the Texas school board has this inordinate influence, and they captured it. They took it over, and they have proceeded to um, the conservative caucus on the Texas school board proceeded to sort of well. Uh, how would you put it, Rick? They've they're rewriting history. Yeah, and and I think it's it's what's fascinating to me is the the way that they're you know this is a very interesting way of changing the meanings of words, and they're getting right down to the language, aren't they? Uh, yes. Well, you mean like uh, imperialism, right? Like they, 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 there was there's a whole uh, sort of chapter in American history when the U.S. decided it was going to join the European powers and. Um, and take over uh, various countries in the what we'd now call the third world, and so we took over um, uh, Cuba and uh, uh, Puerto Rico and the Philippines for their and, own good. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was all good, Rick. I mean, it was just great. And mm. no, I'm kidding about that. But it was it was called imperialism, right? That's yeah. what that's what they called it. But the Texas School Board has decided that's not that's not acceptable. They also. Um, they call it expansionism or something like that. I don't yes, know. expansionism. But, uh, <laughs> but the, the the one that really got me was that they have de- they have deleted references to capitalism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's only to be described as the free market system. And okay, free enterprise. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, free enterprise system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the market. That's a little too. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a little too um, volatile. Yeah, or or thinky. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, what does that mean? There's a great term. <laughs> uh, I think we're 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 entering some scary times here, Thomas, aren't we? Well, uh, look, uh, I you know this has been going on all my life. America is a hilarious place. Stuff mm-hmm. like this has been happening forever. Um, I, you know, and and you just have to learn to live with it. You know, I grew up in Kansas. Uh, this stuff has always been around. Uh, it's just I've always thought of it as kind of you know an amusing thing. Remember what H.L. Mencken said there? 
I have I, I think I've done that. I've given you this famous quote from H.L. Mencken, who's you know my hero. Mm-hmm. Someone asked him why he uh, you know he wrote about all these things if he, if he disliked all these people, you know the 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 bourgeoisie and the people that didn't believe in evolution and all that sort of thing. Why did he keep writing about it? And he thought about it for a second and he said, "Why do men go to zoos?" <laughs> No, you haven't given me that quote before, but I'm glad you did, because I think this is a very interesting exhibit at the zoo. Um, One of the things I think that that I find uh, really fascinating is the way that um, the— these people who who are clearly, you know, against pretty much education— decide to get themselves involved in education. I think this is a real good example of the way the things you talked about in uh, The Wrecking Crew, and you use this term, too, captured. Yeah, I did, and I, I use it deliberately, and it's, you know, it's coming up more and more now um, as, we, you know, as we try to understand why government has gone so wrong in, in so many areas. But the, the people that took over the Texas school board, you know, they did it deliberately, and one of them actually wrote this book. I've got it here. Let me pull it off the shelf. One Nation Under God by Cynthia Nolan Dunbar, Esquire. Okay, and it's got a, a pencil, a pencil eraser erasing the word God, and the subtitle is How the Left is Trying to Erase What Made Us Great. But it's a, it, the book has, among other things, a denunciation of public education. Mm-hmm. You write in your in your uh, Wall Street Journal article that she says public education is clearly tyrannical. Yeah, she she uses that phrase. Uh, she uses there's some there's some real juicy ones. Uh, well, anyhow, she she she's very long winded. So yeah, she says clearly tyrannical, and uh, you know goes on and on and on about how. Uh, oh yes, here it is. Um, you know where does the scripture address the establishment of public schools? Blah blah blah. The authority for instruction of children resides securely within familial jurisdiction, and therefore God clearly holds parents responsible, not the state. For the state to usurp this authority and responsibility, whatever its good intentions, is to operate outside the parameters of proper jurisdiction. Because, you know, it's not mentioned in the Bible. You know, Wait, if something isn't yeah, mentioned in the Bible, isn't mentioned in the Constitution, Rick, it doesn't exist. You, you were said she was quoting from the scripture. I wanted to wind back there. Wait a second. Are, are we, are, you know... It, it, are we in ancient Rome? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do we just? Do, do we just? Uh, are we in a time machine? I, I, I don't know. Anyhow, but it goes on. You know, power devoid of authority rises to the level of tyranny. Therefore, such actions by the state are clearly tyrannical. And she, the woman that wrote that, is on the Texas Board of Education. Okay, she's one of the. One of the fascinating things about this is. Um, I was able to watch these hearings online. I, there's, you know, the, the internet has done some terrible things to my profession, right? To journalism. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, it, it's it's it is a it's an amazing tool when you figure this out that there's a place you can go to watch the Texas school board going through its deliberations. You know, they're all sitting there in these tall uh, leather armchairs. Uh, proposing these changes to the curriculum, changes that these are going to be have an enormous you know effect on kids all over America, and they're just tossing these these things out, um, apparently at you know as they think of them. You know, it's just like, well, you know, what, how about we do this? And then there's no discussion; they just vote on it and they decide to do it. You know. Oh, they, one of the things they did, they got rid of Thomas Jefferson mm-hmm. from a list of, of um, you know, important political thinkers. I think they replaced him with, like, Aquinas or something like that, you know, <laughs> which is just, 
bizarre. Uh, you know, Jefferson's one of my heroes. He's a great man. And by the way, among other things, Jefferson is the one that believed in public education. You know, you can't have... We, you have to have, you know, America has to be a democracy. It has to be a government uh, by the people. But you can't have government by the people unless the people are well-educated. Therefore, you have to have, if you want to have a democracy, you have to have public education. And uh, he's gone. <laughs> well, <oops. laughs> Crossed him out. Yeah. <laughs> Solved that problem. It's just a short hop from, from the Texas Board of Education uh, to uh, the the problems of uh of well another battle being fought that's been fought and won the battle of waterloo what the battle of waterloo oh, sorry. i'm so <laughs> clueless that was last week rick this is this week you mean you mean the health care uh the the passage of the health care act yeah oh, well absolutely. you and i i mean last time we talked i was so down about the the democrats and i was uh that was something where i was i was genuinely almost depressed you know i had given up my philosophy of regarding the whole thing as a zoo and and had had managed to to actually get myself you know almost unhappy about it uh because here were the democrats blowing their their great election victory of 2008 getting nothing done and then all of a sudden they pulled the rabbit out of the hat so uh you know i'm i'm happy about that uh but yeah, it's a, it, it's. I was uh, when I was quoting from uh, David Frum, I believe, who's a conservative. He was a speechwriter for George W. Bush, and he, you remember how uh, who was the senator from South Carolina, Jim Dement, said that that health care was going to be Waterloo's Obama, or sorry, <laughs> Obama's Waterloo. Mm-hmm. God, I'm I'm so confused, Rick. It, it was going to be Obama's Waterloo. It would be the place where the right, you know, completely stopped him and and uh, and and turned the tide. And uh, instead, it's uh, according to David Frum, it's the Waterloo for the for conservatism. You know that they could have uh, played ball with the administration, and uh, you know they could have amended the bill in ways that would have made it more palatable to conservatives. I mean, they could have done what Obama desperately wanted them to do. You mm-hmm. know, to, to do the bipartisan thing. Yeah. But instead, they went. They did their party of no strategy, no cooperation. You know, vote no on everything. Try to just try to obstruct and block at every point. And uh, and it's 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 made them look just just awful. I mean, the health care bill passed, and and it's you know, it's still got a lot of uh, of controversial parts and parts that I don't like. Even I mean, and I'm pretty liberal, but you know, like the individual mandate, I don't think anybody in America likes that. No. But uh, but at the at the same time, it uh, it brings the insurance industry under regulation, which it's never had to operate under before. They're not able to just kick you off of your uh, health care policy. I mean, I'm very pleased about the whole thing. Yeah, and it's inter- interesting, and I guess not ultimately surprising that the party that had absolutely nothing to contribute and nothing to say, and really nothing did nothing, got nothing. They, they got nothing, and uh, I mean, it's a funny thing though because in some ways, uh, you know, I was out there on Saturday with the protesters. Okay, mm-hmm. the uh, Tea Party people came to town with their snake flags, and I was out there uh, with them, you know, listening to the speakers on Capitol Hill. And it, I think at about two in the afternoon, I was getting a sunburn. It was really hot that not hot, but very sunny that day, and so I decided to go home. And then they went, you know, they said, okay, now we're going to go up to, you know, the offices of the congressmen and, and we're going to go in their offices and, and you know, 
and lobby them personally. And I was like, no, you're not. You know, I'm going home. This is, this is stupid. And they did. Mm-hmm. Not only did they, they, uh, they proceeded to cause, you know, a, a big ruckus up on Capitol Hill. They were yelling, or apparently, reporting, reportedly yelling uh, racial slurs at, at black congressmen, uh, calling Barney Frank various names. I mean, you know what name, mm-hmm. and uh, things like this. I missed all of that. I feel like a, a, a real doofus for you know showing up for all this and then missing all the action. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it went on and on and on with um, Republican members of Congress coming out onto the balcony of the Capitol to wave the snake flag of their own and to you know encourage the protesters, and it, it turned into a real uh, sort of a disaster for these guys. Uh, but when I was there, they were just giving speeches, and I and I and I gave a, a taste of the speeches in my in my column in the Wall Street Journal, and they were, you know, crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, and it wasn't, by the way, when when I say you know, they were crazy. We're we're accustomed to grassroots movements and protesters saying crazy things in this country. It's been going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Where this gets interesting is when you actually have members of Congress, spokesmen for the Republican Party, saying the same things. Mm-hmm. That, that uh, changes the game. Okay, that's like it, it, the classic example in the 1960s, the conservatives are always saying, well, yeah, but, you know, in the 1960s, these, these leftists, you know, did crazy things and ran amok and rioted in the streets and all this sort of thing, and which is all, of course, true. But uh, Democratic members of Congress did not join them. No, no, they were never, no ever supported them. You know, mm-hmm. that they just kept their distance from those guys. Um, but this is different. And, and what's interesting, too, is that what you point out and the way you describe it is it sounds more like, uh, you know, a hard rock concert than a political rally. And, and what you describe it as, and I think this is really fascinating, it, it's a form of fan, fandom. Fandom, yeah, it is. They, you, you, they're constantly mentioning Glenn Beck from mm-hmm. the podium. Uh, you know, the, Glenn Beck himself was not there. But all of these people who spoke, I recognized as having been guests on Glenn Beck's show. Mm. Uh, and sometimes they would mention this and sometimes they wouldn't. But, uh, you know, it was everybody was up there doing their routine that, that you've seen them do on the Glenn Beck program. And there were protesters holding signs that said, you know, I'm, I'm try- I don't remember verbatim what it said. You know, I love Fox News, or thank God for Fox News, or praise the Lord and pass the Fox News, or something like that. You know, but it, and, and then and there were all sorts of people wearing Glenn Beck clothes, Rush Limbaugh hats. Um, it was as though it was an enormous act of fandom. You know, without the, of course, without the um, sort of the object of uh, of our of our fanaticism being and, present, and without and without a drum solo. <laughs> they need a drum solo. I mean, you can't have fandom you know, without there, a twenty-minute no drum, drum solo. solo. There were there were a lot of people that brought their own uh, bullhorns. Sort of a lot of freelance, you know, megaphone guys. So you had oh, the really? speakers up on the platform with their PA system, and then you had a lot of guys in the audience just yelling with with their own, you know, bullhorns that they had brought with them. Uh, it was it was really interesting. Um, and here's another funny thing. So I was looking on, um, you know, I was, I, I was, I was, refer, I referred to David Frum earlier. Mm-hmm. By the way, do you know, you know what happened to him after he wrote that article, uh, calling it a uh, conservative Waterloo? I think he was excommunicated. He got fired. Yeah. 
He got fired from the American Enterprise Institute. Now, there's controversy over why he got fired, whether it was because he said this. But it's a fascinating thing. You've got this movement. The conservative movement is, you know, running headlong to the right. Okay, remember what I used to say in the the Kansas Mm -hmm. book, to the right, the gravity of discontent pulls to the right and to the right and further to the right. But there was a time when the conservative movement knew to keep its distance from guys like Glenn Beck mm-hmm. and Rush Limbaugh. Well, I mean, not Limbaugh, but Limbaugh himself has, has, uh, has made a dramatic shift to the right in, uh, just in the last couple of years. Um, but the conservative movement knew to stay away from the paranoid set, uh, from the fringe, uh, you know, from the conspiracy theorists. They knew to stay away from that. One of the reasons that they knew was because they had William F. Buckley was sort of the, the, the unofficial leader. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he... he did things like excommunicated the John Birch Society back in the early 1960s. He's like, "This, I'm sorry, this is this is beyond the pale. This is not acceptable." Well, that's not what's happening now. Mm-hmm. The only guy that's getting excommunicated is David Frum, right? The one, <laughs> the one who's warning against doing these crazy things. Uh, so it, it's it's the opposite is what's happening now. You know, members of Congress out there uh, partying with the snake flaggers. Uh, and now I have to ask you: Has Rush Limbaugh left the country yet? <laughs> what was he he was he threatening to do that if it passed yeah he was he promised he'd leave the country if he passed yeah that's right because he he runs a business right now he'll have to have health insurance for his employees maybe he can do his broadcast from you know like a sort of what is it the uh, radio luxembourg sort of situation he can he can go offshore <laughs> or he can broadcast from cuba or something yeah. like that the cayman islands or i was thinking he could just move to canada where they have nationalized health care so and yeah then he wouldn't have to worry about it but yeah. i bet they would they would make him pay ta- higher taxes there now um the upshot of all this especially some of the extremist threats i mean these are people who who I'll, many of the rep, um Democratic uh, congressmen received actual death threats. Right, right, right. And there was one one fellow whose address, who, who they thought they were giving out his address, they gave out his brother's address, and they cut the ga- the propane line to propane his Propane line, yeah, that's, that was down in Charlottesville, where I went to college down there, in Charlottesville, Virginia. And that, okay, so that's, you know, my, my previous story ended with the, you know, me hanging around with the snake flaggers on Capitol mm-hmm. Hill. And, uh, uh, by the way, did I mention that in person they were all really nice people? No, but that... They are. I mean, they're very polite. I was listening to my tape recording of the whole day mm-hmm. uh, again the other day, and, and uh, when someone would, would come through the, the crowd, right, and this is, this is a large crowd of people, they'd say, excuse me. Really? Yeah, and, and they were always sort of, you know, chatting happily with each other. I mean, they were nice. They're, as individuals, anyway... They're really nice people. If you can look uh, beyond, you know, what they've written on their signs and the, the things that, they, that, that some of them yelled at uh, the black congressman and that sort of thing, they, you know, it's a funny thing about these people. I, I uh, you know, I, I, uh, I often, they, they, seem, they seem like genuinely nice people as individuals. But that's neither here nor there. So then what happened is um, the, the bill passed, okay? So mm-hmm. my story ends then with the bill getting passed. Then in the days after that, yes, there were all there was all this vandalism of Democratic offices, and there were death threats against uh, Democratic uh, members of Congress who had voted for the bill, and there were even some against Republicans. There's a very high-profile one against Eric Cantor, who mm-hmm. is the uh, Republican, the House Republican whip. But anyhow, so there were all these death threats and these uh, and this vandalism, and and it, there, it was in all the newspapers. You know, this wave of threats, right? All these Democrats reported receiving these threats. And uh, then you had this very interesting reaction to that 
from the right. You know, it, you'd think they would just let that go. You know, get out there, denounce anybody who who, who threatens a congressman, and, and be done with it. But they just couldn't take it lying down. You know, their whole um, act, the conservatives and the Tea Party people, their whole act is about themselves as the victims. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the average middle American, the good people of the heartland, being sneered at by uh, the liberal elite in the mainstream media and people like you, Rick Cleffel. Mm, right. <laughs> and I suppose people like me as Guilty. well. I'm I mean, a... definitely by people like me. Mm. And, um, and so they couldn't just take it lying down. And so there was this reaction to it. Not only, you know, of course they did the obvious thing, go out and say you shouldn't, you should never threaten uh, a, a member of Congress. But then they also said that the Democrats were, were playing politics for even bringing this up. And in fact, the Democrats were using the threats against them as a political weapon mm-hmm. uh, against uh, conservatism. And some people went as far, in fact, a lot of people, if you read conservative blogs, went as far as to say that this was an attack on the Tea Party movement, that they were trying to discredit and delegitimate the Tea Party movement by talking about how they were threatened. So the threat is itself, by telling about the threat, you are threatening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> the, the righteous ones. You see, yeah. it's this very interesting twist. Uh huh. Well, it's very Orwellian, and I think what's interesting that it's so Orwellian in terms of its inversion of meaning in language is that I mean, these are the people who would be against Orwell. Well, they they don't think that they think that they're they think that they're. I mean, it's like it's like you know. Uh, they, they think that, that Orwell is with them, that, you know, because of that book, 1984, right? Orwell was against Big Brother. That's what they think they're fighting. They're fighting, you know, tyranny, blah, 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 ipso facto Orwell. Anyhow, they, they, but it's not that this is a clever twist of language. This is just, I think, inst- I think this is just running on instinct. This is just instinctual, you know. For, the, for Democrats to claim to be the victims when every one of these guys lives and breathes victimhood, you know, uh, it, it offends them. You know, it, goes, it goes directly against their sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Perfect example, Sarah Palin. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sarah Palin is all about, she is such a whiner. I mean, that's her entire career on the national stage, I mean, maybe she was a, a good governor of Alaska, I have, I have no idea, but ever since she became um, you know, a, a, a national political figure, she has done nothing but whine about the victimization of middle America by the elites with her as the kind of symbol, as the scapegoat, right? Mm-hmm. Constantly. That's all she does. That if is you her don't act. love She's me, you don't love pony. the middle class. Sorry? If you don't love me, you don't love the middle class. <laughs> That's right. Actually, she's a two-trick pony, and the other trick is firearms. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so, so Sarah Palin on her website, you know, it, it, while this wave of, of, of threats and vandalism is going on, on her website, she puts up a map of the U.S. with uh, various Democratic congressional districts marked with um, crosshairs of, of a rifle scope. Okay, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people thought this was really in poor taste. Mm. This was a real, real, real bad thing for Sarah Palin to do. And uh, then she went out and gave this speech uh, on Sunday in um, Searchlight, Nevada. Right, this is where Harry Reid is from, and they went there to sort of get in Harry Reid's face. Okay, and um, in this speech, I watched this again. I, it was an amazing thing about the internet. I sat down and watched the speech right here on my home computer. And uh, she is, you know, uh, 
she is fighting back against uh, people who are criticizing her for putting the uh, the, the crosshairs, the rifle scope, uh, on her on on her website. And it's you know the problem is and, and, and here's the hilarious thing. So she does this thing that's that's obviously a sort of bullying, you know, form of intimidation. You know, it, mm-hmm. it kind of a really really crass and maybe even evil. Although I don't really think she's an evil person. I, I just think she's I, kind of clueless. But um, I tend to disagree with you. I think she may be evil. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's where, that's the Cluffle frank divide. Well, <laughs> remember that when she runs for president. Oh, okay, well, I'll pray. <laughs> is she evil, or is she just clueless? But, I mean, like, why would you do something like that? Why would you put rifle scopes on your, on, you know, it's, it's just, it's just clueless, in my mm-hmm. view. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's obviously a way of, of in trying to intimidate these people and doing it in a particularly tasteless and, and brutal manner. But so she goes out and she's speaking about it. And, and, uh, while she's speaking, there's this flag flapping in the breeze next to her that says SOS on it. You know, one of these typical things that you see at the Tea Party rallies, we are the victims, our country is going down, you know. And so there's this weird combination of bullying and victimhood and of course in in her speech it was all about the media persecuting her mm-hmm. for you know doing this totally innocent thing and would they please tell the story straight you know of course she's trying to flip the script oh my god yeah. and did i tell you the uh one last thing about this mm-hmm. there is a you know there's a certain moral hazard involved in all this that i don't think these conservatives have thought through which is if somebody goes out and, uh, you know, does some politicized vandalism, for, obviously politicized vandalism. Perfect example, that brick, that they had a picture of it in the New York Times. Somebody threw a brick through the window of Democratic offices somewhere, and uh, tied to the brick was a note, you know, with a famous quote from Barry Goldwater, extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice, threw it through the window, right? <laughs> okay, so you've got this obviously politicized violence mm-hmm. and vandalism. And then... You go out and you spin it so that the the main interpretation of it is that this violence is it actually just demonstrates the innocence of your side and even the virtue of your side and even the martyrdom of your side because of course these liberals are persecuting you and trying to you know tar the whole movement with the actions of a few blah 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 blah. What you're actually doing is is encouraging more of that because it just gets. These the, the people who throw the bricks, it just gets their sort of their colleagues, their fellow partisans, off the hook. Mm-hmm. If if you sincerely believe the argument that you're making, and I mean, there's something to be said for the fact that, for the assumption that they don't they don't believe what they're saying. But anyhow, there's also plenty of conservative websites where you can see them speculating about the wave of threats and vandalism as being the act of liberal agent provocators, you know, who are just trying to get public sympathy by doing this to themselves. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I, it's it's a fascinating, and I think it really proves that, that Orwell and Big Brother, they were right. Ignorance is strength. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, going to the, uh, or paying for uh, one of your people to go to the uh, bondage-themed nightclub is family values. <laughs> Of course, that, that that makes perfect sense to me, and uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to talk in the, in the next couple of weeks and see. It, it, it's kind of like the perils of Pauline, isn't it? It's one. Couple it goes on and on and on. It's another. it's endlessly fascinating. 
and we'll and and I I hope it will come to an end sometime, but not our conversations with Thomas Frank. He's the author of What's the Matter with Kansas and The Wrecking Crew. Thank you for joining me again, Thomas. It's my pleasure, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.